Well, as I said earlier, this is a, our prayer meeting, but we do a, a short teaching, and I'm going to try to emphasize short tonight, and uh, uh, to encourage us to build up our faith uh, for prayer. And uh, it's important because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I just felt to go into one particular scripture, which I've taught many times, but I just some, many of these things we've heard over and over again, but sometimes we need to be reminded of. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. And it starts with the word therefore, and as you've heard me teach, and I'm sure you've heard other people teach, that means what's about to follow is based on everything he's just talked about. And what he's just talked about, especially in chapter 10, what he's talked about is the comparison of the, the Old Testament law, its method of worship, with the method of worship that Christ has inaugurated through this new covenant that he's established through his own blood. So we're going to read down through this a little bit, and then I want to go back and give you just a little short teaching on the Old Testament method of, of, of worship, uh, worshiping God, and why the difference that we have and what an effect it has on us, not just for worship, but in prayer. So he said, Therefore, having brethren, so he's talking to the church, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his, press, uh, his flesh. So let's break that down. Talking to the church, he's saying basically everything I've just talked to you leads to this. Having boldness. Notice it's having. It's something we have, can have, we should have right now. Now this word boldness is an interesting word in the Greek because the word doesn't mean boldness quite in the sense that you and I might, in, might understand boldness because we tend to think of boldness as there's some people that are bolder than others. A bold person, and I can think of some people in this church right off the top of my head, they'll speak their mind, they'll just, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not hesitant to do anything or talk to anybody. And there's a sense in which that's true. But the word boldness here means more than that. It means an unashamed ability to say anything that's on your mind, to not worry about how it's going to be received, to not worry about whether you're going to be judged, to be able to, it's the freedom to speak your mind. Some of you don't need the freedom because you speak your mind anyway, but others of us really need to know it's okay to speak their mind, to know what it is to say. I've had some people come and talk to me, and I know they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. I said, don't worry about saying the wrong thing. I just want to hear what's on your heart. We'll sort any differences out afterwards. And God's like that. So what he's telling us to do is now, in this age of the church, in the covenant that we have with God through Christ, this new covenant, Jesus has provided a way so that we can come to God the Father with total boldness, and total confidence. Now, I'm saying that because I think one of the primary reasons people struggle in prayer is they lack that confidence. Not so much lacking a confidence in God, but lacking a confidence in themselves. Why would God listen to me because I know myself as if God doesn't know you? Or maybe we're afraid God does know us, and that's why we don't think he'd really pay attention to us. After all, who am I? Because there's so many people in the world that God loves so much. I mean, God loved, obviously loved Jesus. He loved the, the, the 11 apostles, at least, that were faithful. He loved, you know, there's, there's, there's Paul, there's all the, you know, there's, you know, and Pastor John, of course, he loves him because he's a pastor. And all this stuff, of course, I go through the other way around. So we, those are subtle thoughts that we can have in our mind and not even really be conscious of it. 
especially we've been in, we've been in church for a while because we know intellectually that's not true. But there's a difference between you what you know and understand with your mind and what your heart believes and what your heart has received. And so Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whether it's Paul or not, it's the Holy Spirit, is emphasizing this point. Now notice what he says. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Now the holiest, that's what I want to spend a couple of minutes on explaining to us. In the old, because Paul has just finished comparing the Old Testament form of worship, especially the form of worship that was done in the wilderness in those 40 years that they traveled through the wilderness, where God had instructed Moses uh, after about the first, uh, what was it, six months, to, to construct a place of worship. It was called the tabernacle in the wilderness. And this was a, t- a series of tents. And the idea was to, find, to provide a place where God could come and dwell in the middle of his people. But there were a whole bunch of rules and restrictions. And first of all, only one of the tribes of Israel could even go inside the outer tent. And that was the tribe of Levi. And there was the, the priests. So only the priests could even get into church. Everybody else was on the outside. So what they would do is when it came time to worship God, they worshipped him with, with animals and different kinds of sacrifices. They would bring them to the door of this outer courtyard, this outer tent, and there would be a priest there that would inspect it, whether it would qualify. And then if it did, they would take it on in and perform the sacrifice on your behalf. And this was a wide open courtyard. It was surrounded by a, a, a wall, like a tent wall, but it was all open. And it was, a linen, it was a linen curtain that went all the way around this, like a football field. And in, the, in, the, in part of this, was a, there were a series of things, but one of them was an altar a, called a brass altar, brazen altar. The school of ministry students remember this, where there were sacrifices going on 24 hours a day. But then there was another tent just beyond that, which was enclosed with, I think it was five different types of animal skins, or skins over it, and there were two rooms in there. The outer room was called the holy place, and this was a room in which the priest could go in, I think it was once a week, and there was a table with bread on, unleavened bread, called the showbread, which meant the bread of God's presence. There was a candlestick, a golden candlestick that lit this up, And then there was an altar right in front of the far wall, which was an altar that had incense burning on it, which represented prayers and worship. So this was the outer room called the holy place. And the priests could go in there. They would share the bread together in the presence of God. It was like fellowshipping with God, except God wasn't in that room. He was in the other room, which was on the other side of that far tent wall. And that room was called the holy of holies. And in that room, which was an, had to be an amazing room based on the descriptions that we see in the book of Exodus, but in that room was the, was, the Ark, what was the Ark of the Covenant, what they made the movie about a number of years ago. The Ark of the Covenant, and that Ark, I won't go describe the whole thing yet, but inside of it were, 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 was some, a gold pot with some pieces of, of manna, the original manna that God dropped from heaven, there was there was um, there was the uh, uh, the the almond the, the almond buds the almond branches that budded representing eternal life and there were some pieces left over from the the, the the tables of stone that God wrote on with his fingers that Moses broke 
So those represent the Word of God, the power of God, and the grace of God. And it was covered with a, with a covering called the mercy seat. And it was all, that was solid gold. And it, that, that gold cover had hammered out in solid gold two angels bending over in, in, in bowing down in reverence and their wings would touch. And in the midst of those wings came down the actual tangible glory presence of God. This room, the other room was lit up by the candlestick. Candelabra, was, it's more complicated than that. This room was lit up only by the glory of God. Now, in the outer courtyard, all of the members of Levi could go and they performed their, their work. In that first room, the priest could, only the priest could go in and on a certain day and eat the bread. And they didn't talk when they did that. But into this inner room, only one man can go, the high priest. And he could only go in there on the, on the Day of Atonement and only after having gone through certain rituals, the last of which was to sacrifice the, 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 uh, the lamb, the, the, the Passover lamb, and walk in there, was the Passover lamb, walk in there with the blood of that lamb and sprinkle it on the, ark of the, on the, on the mercy seat. And he had to go in there. If he, if he did anything wrong, he dropped dead. That represents worship in the Old Testament. You don't come boldly into the Holy of Holies in the Old... In fact, unless you're the high priest on the right die, you don't come near there at all. Now, there's an old story by some, of the, some Jewish story that they would tie a, a, a rope around his leg so that if you didn't hear his noise, they, nobody was going to go in and bring him out. Now, I've done some research. There's no fact in that. There's no factual basis for that. But it gives you an idea of how exacting you had to be before you entered into the actual presence of God. And between that inner room, that holy of holies, and that outer room, the holy place, was this veil or this curtain that separated the two. Now, when that, when that tabernacle was dismantled and kind of disappeared in history, it was replaced eventually by the Temple of Solomon. And that temple was designed around that same basic structure, although it was much more ornate. But there was this curtain also that hung down that covered the, art, covered the altar. And when Christ was, died on that cross, as Matthew's account, I think it was, says that that curtain, that veil, which archaeologists tell us was probably about six inches thick, was torn from the top of it to the bottom. And the account's very explicit, from the top to the bottom, which means nobody at the bottom pulled it apart. There were angels at the top that had to pull it apart. What it represented was the barrier that separated man from entering the presence of God was now torn open. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is referring to here. So in the Old Covenant, if you lived in that community, you knew all the time there was a constant reminder that God was here, but you couldn't get to Him unless you went through the right channels and you had to have gone, performed a sacrifice before you could even approach the whole place. And the, the smell of the burning animals and of the sounds 
And the smell of blood was a constant reminder of our, their sins and that they needed to be paid for over and over again. Now, we weren't raised in, in, in the wilderness with a tabernacle like that. But many of us were raised in church in religion. And religion has the same basic idea. You're not qualified to go talk to God directly because in some of you were raised in churches which says you don't have any rights to go to God at all. You've got to go through a mediator, through a man, through a priest who's going to represent you to God and he's going to decide what, what, what you've got to do to pay for your sins and he's going to tell you. Even though the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one that paid for our sins. So many of us were raised in a system of religion that wasn't exactly the tabernacle in the wilderness, but it communicated the same idea. It made us conscious of our sins. And were we sinners? Absolutely. But we were, it was drilled in many of us. You don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve to receive communion. You don't deserve, deserve to do that. You don't deserve to, as if you're going to get to some place where you do deserve to. And then we go to prayer, and we wonder, why would I have any confidence that God's going to hear me because I'm such a failure, I'm such a sinner, I've failed, I've had thoughts today that, that I know, God knows I had the thoughts, so why would he listen to me? That's ingrained in us, though we didn't live in that system. So it's very important, if we're going to be confident in our prayers, that we do what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, that we renew our mind. We change how we think about ourselves and how we think about God and how we think about approaching God, not in terms of our old system and training, but in terms of what God says. He's told us this because he wants us to come and to come into his presence anytime, anywhere that you want to. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe has provided a way that if you just think about him in the car, you can just talk to him. You don't have to get out. You have to pull your car on the side of the road and get down on your knees and do all kinds of things. You can talk to him in the shower. I do some of my best praying in the shower. You can talk to him in your car. Don't close your eyes and bow your head. You can talk to him wherever you are because he's paid a dear price so that we can come and talk. So I guess he's listening. So let's just go on quickly. Therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus or through the means of the blood of Jesus... By a new and a living way. It's not some dead old ritual. It's a new and a living way. A way that gives life. A way that brings life into your relationship with God. Our prayer time ought to breathe life into us. It shouldn't be some hard obligation that we have to perform and we can't wait till it's over because we performed our duty. That's what religion has trained us to do. But this should be the most exciting part of our day because he is life and he loves you more than anybody will ever begin to love you. And he wants to breathe life into you. He wants to bring hope into you, bring courage into you. And, and, and he wants to, he, it's a new and a living way. So it, it's a life-breathing way which he consecrated for us through the veil, through the ripping of that veil, which is his flesh. So when his flesh died, 
That was the veil. The veil of flesh was torn so that we now have boldness to enter. And we're going to see that. And having a high priest over the house of God. So Jesus has now taken the place of Aaron and of his sons. Jesus has now taken the place of the appointed high priest, the descendant of Levi. Jesus is now the high priest. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. Verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart. That means a sincere heart. All God wants us to do is be sincere with him. Now that, that's important to talk about. And, and maybe I'm the only one that struggles with this. Maybe you guys just are the most sincere people in the world when it comes to talking to God. But, but if, have you ever gone to talk to your boss or somebody that you considered an authority or somebody who had power over your life, whether it was to maybe as a family member, but maybe it was somebody that could fire you or hire you or, or, or evaluated you? You were a little careful how you approached them. And you wanted to word things just the right way. And you may not just express things the way you really would just express things to somebody that was your closest friend. Because if you don't say it, see, if you've got somebody you have a close relationship with that you trust, that they care about you, you're not afraid of saying the wrong things. I mean, sometimes we say things to one another that we really didn't mean. We just kind of in the heat of the moment, we say something, but I'm not afraid to, I don't want to do that, but I'm not afraid if I do that, she's going to clobber me or stop loving me or leave me because there's 53 years of bond established here. And so, so, but if you're talking to somebody that you're afraid of or somebody that has authority over you, you're just cautious exactly how you express yourself. What he's saying here is we're to come to him with a, with a sincere heart, which means we're, we're telling him exactly what's going on. We have to, see, religion tells you you can only come to God if you say it just the right way. Our Father. And we sound religious and we sound respectful. We want to, should be respectful to him. But he wants us to be real with him. He wants us to be open with him. He wants us to be sincere. Sincere means... The, the, the word is the opposite of plastic. Plastica is, is the opposite of this. And you know what plastic is? It's plastic. I got a bumper in my car that looks like it's metal, but it's not what it looks like. It's plastic. Plastic is something that can be made to look like something it's not. And that's what this word plastica means. And so to be sincere is to not be plastic. To sincere is to be exactly the way you're representing yourself. So if you're ticked off at God, I was mad at him the other day. So I told him that. It wasn't a shock to him. He already knew that. But by telling him and being honest with him, I'm removing a veil. I'm removing any covering in my heart that's trying to protect me. See, when we're not really sincere, we're covering our heart up a little bit to protect us. But when we do, we're, we're creating a separation of the intimacy that's so essential in true effective prayer. So he says to come, because of what Christ has done, with a sincere, a true heart, look at this, in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Not just be assured he's going to hear us, he wants us to be so full of confidence that we don't hold anything back from him. Full assurance of faith. 
That means faith in what he's like, faith in what he's said, faith in what Jesus has done, and what we hold back on is because we're, cons- we're aware of ourselves. Having our hearts sprinkled from an Ill- evil, that means a guilty conscience. Having our hearts sprinkled by his blood. They used to sprinkle the blood of the lamb, of the sacrifice, on the mercy seat to represent that the price has been paid. And he's saying instead of sprinkling it on the mercy seat of the old covenant way of worship, it's been sprinkled on our heart to consecrate our hearts and to wash our hearts clean from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23. Let us hold fast our confession of hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So the word of God is calling us God, I really believe God's begging us to come boldly into his presence tonight. And what holds us back, depending on what kind of day you've had or week you've had or what you think about yourself or see, none of this is talking about you. This is all talking about what he did. And when we go to God very often, maybe it's just me, what holds me back is I'm aware of me. I'm aware of maybe I didn't, you know do something I was supposed to do. Maybe I had some thoughts I shouldn't have had. Yes, pastors sometimes have thoughts they shouldn't have. Maybe I said something I shouldn't have said, or maybe I, you know, maybe I didn't have the most warm, loving feelings towards my wife today when I left. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe that. But it's all about me and why I'm not qualified for God to listen to me. And none of that talks about me. That all talks about what he's done so I can come into his presence. And that's where the faith comes in. Faith in what he's done, not a lack of faith in me. And the second thing I want to say, and this is just a general comment, something I've been learning. I shared a little bit about this with us last week. When we're praying together with the Father for his people, intercession, when we begin to pray for other people, and we begin to not just say, God bless them, God take care of them, God, you know, give them grace, but really begin to open our heart to God, what do you... See, God needs us to pray. There's things God wants to do for your children. There's things God wants to do in your marriage. There's things God wants to do for your relatives. There's things God wants to do for your neighbors. There's things God wants to do for other people. He wants to do them, but he needs his people to ask him to do it. Because that's why he set this up. I talked a little bit more about that last week. So what you are is you're really in partnership with God to get his will done in this earth. What an incredible privilege that is, that God would use such imperfect people as us. He has to wait for us. He has to find somebody who's willing to spend the time and the discipline to begin to do this. And this is something you learn to do by doing it. As I said last week, the only way you can learn to intercede is by interceding. And don't worry about whether you're perfect or not. It's opening your heart to allow God to work through your heart what he has for those people. And ultimately, it's God's heart working through you and me for lost people and feeling the the hurt and the pain he feels because he sees their lost condition and he loves them. One of the things that will transform your prayer life is to begin to pray for people 
that are your enemies. You may not have any enemies, but people that don't like you or people you don't like. It will begin to transform you because you'll begin to get God's heart for them. You'll begin to get God's understanding maybe of why they've done what they've done to you, why they are the way they are. Because we often react to people based on the image we have of them. And this is true in a marriage. You begin to form an image of your spouse and you start reacting to them, listening to them, interpreting their actions in terms of the image you have of them and not the heart, what's really motivating their heart. This is why communication in a marriage or in any relationship is so important, learning to hear their heart. So what will happen if, as you intercede for other people, you will begin to hear and know the heart of God towards them, and that means you will begin to know God's heart towards you, how merciful he is, how loving he is. You pray for people that have hurt you, then you'll find out how God hurts for them. God doesn't want to get back at them. He wants to redeem their lives. He wants to minister to their hurt, whatever's causing that. I don't know the situation. I just want to encourage you tonight as we begin to pray for needs and you in your other time begin to pray for people that God puts on your heart. Do it. Even if it's 10 minutes, do it. And as you begin to feel God working through you, it it will bring this life into you because you'll be beginning to experience God's reality in you at a different level. All right. We're going to begin to pray now. We're going to go over several things that I want to pray for. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do this. We'll just kind of start doing it and see how the Holy Spirit leads us. We're going to start praying as we did last week for our leaders, but we devoted most of the time to that. I felt that's where God was leading us last week. I want to pray for our leaders. I want to pray for this election that's coming up. We're not talking about Democrats and Republicans, we're, not, we're talking about God's will being done. God putting in place people that he wants to use to carry out his will. See, when you begin to pray God's will in a situation, it gets you out of it, and then you begin to feel the confidence of God coming underneath you and working through you and praying through you. And then we're going to begin to help us pray for this church for some issues, and then we're going to pray for some, some specific needs. One thing I want to mention to you, uh, we used to have prayer cards that you could fill out at the, at the information booth and leave them in a bucket, and then we would take Tuesday night down here, and we'd spend it. We did it different ways, pray over them. Well, for several reasons, obviously, we can't put cards together that people are touching right now. But this new app we've developed that Mike, actually, Liberty's done a great job of developing, it has a feature on there for prayer requests that when you go to it, you'll find a prayer card on there you can fill out. Now, it's not activated yet, but I just want to begin to alert you. So what we'll begin to do once we announce that it's ready is have people send people to that, and then on, on our Wednesday night prayer night or whenever we end up, if we move this to another night, whatever we do with it, we will spend some time, most of the time, some time praying for those prayer needs, for prayer requests, because it's very important we pray for one another and for needs that are outside of ourselves. So... Let's, let's begin to pray. Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we've seen in your word that through the blood of Christ he is, and through the tearing of his flesh, he has paid for a way that we can come with boldness and confidence into your presence tonight, regardless of what our day is like, 
regardless of what we've come out of, regardless of who we may be, we're coming to you in Christ tonight. So you see us tonight just as you see Jesus. And so we come to you in Christ tonight to bring these needs and these requests before you because you want us to, you need us to. And so, Father, we we start with what you've told us to pray for. We pray for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives so that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all reverence. And so we pray for our president, Father, that you would give him wisdom and grace and understanding and strength to be able to stand in the office and to be able to carry out the responsibilities that you have given him as the, as the highest leader of this land. We pray for those that are in the offices or in the White House, that you would continue, that you would give them wisdom and grace, especially those that know you, Lord, and that are already praying. Encourage them, Father, that they may be strong in their faith to fulfill why you put them there. We pray for our Congress, Father, for our leaders of Congress, Father, that you would give them grace and wisdom and, and, and an understanding that they stand in an authority that you have created and that they have a responsibility to you to exercise that authority for your purposes and for your ways. We pray for our governors, especially those that affect us right now, Governor Raimondo and Governor Baker, Father, as they make the difficult decisions that they must make. Father, they need your wisdom. They need your grace. They need your discernment. Provide them with people that will help them to understand what they are to do with the decisions that they make. And we thank you, Father, that you give them courage and and, and boldness, Father. Father, we come to you right now to pray for the other churches in this area, Lord, the pastors especially, that they would have the boldness and the confidence and the encouragement to stand in this time and lead their congregations into what you've called them to do. Father, each of these fellowships are different with different people in them and different purposes. And we ask you to give these pastors the wisdom that they need to lead the people you have entrusted to them in this time and in this place. And Father, now we pray for for Faith Christian Center. Father, you're calling us as a church. You're calling us as a church to come together with a greater unity. More than that, a greater love and caring for one another as you have called us in your word to do. And we're living in a time, Father, where there's strife rampant all around us in society. There's strife rampant in many cases in churches and there's even strife in people in this church, Father. I don't know what they are. I just know that it has to be there. Father, we bring to you marriages within this church right now. Marriages that are struggling because strife has found its way in there through Satan's work and effort to divide and to bring strife and division. Father, there's strife within families, and we pray for those families, Lord, because Satan would bring strife between children and between parents, especially teenage children and grown children and their parents, Father. There may be strife in the families. There may be strife, Father, at work, strife all around us that's keeping us from carrying out what you put us here to do. And so we come to you tonight to pray for those needs. Father, we come to you tonight to pray for people in this church that are struggling in other ways that make it difficult for them to walk out what you put them here to do. Whether they're struggling for their, in their finances and they're, they're maybe even be threatened with losing their home or they've lost their job and they don't know what to do and there are very real and practical f- needs in their family and they need your grace and they need your help tonight. We come to you 
on their behalf tonight, Father. We come to you tonight, Father, to pray for other needs, Lord, for understanding of one another. Father, we have a, a, an event coming up later this month for the purpose of which is to bring this body together in understanding over issues that are dividing this nation and creating such stress and strife in this nation, especially racism, Father. You're calling us to understand and to care about one another. And that can't happen in our strength. It has to be the Holy Spirit softening and open our hearts to one another. And Lord, we pray that as we begin to do that, that he will soften our hearts, not just over this issue of racism, but over everything else there's hurt and divide, Father, so that there will be an opening for a move of God here, a move of God like we've never seen before. For, Father, this nation, Father, this this area, this community needs an outpouring of your spirit from your church. But before we can go out, before we can carry this love out, we must have it here among us. And so we come to you tonight to begin to pray for these things, Father. I'm, I'm reminded as I'm praying, I was going to mention earlier, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13 that we can do all these wonderful things. We can make a sacrifice of our life. We can give everything we have to the poor. We can do great and mighty things for God. But if, if it's not done out of his love for people, then it accomplishes nothing for his kingdom. And so, Father, we come tonight to pray for this love. Not that we just love each other more, but we begin to taste and experience the sacrificial love that Christ has shown for us. We know about it. We've studied it. We've preached on it. We've listened to it. But now we must learn to walk in this love. And Father, we realize that to do it, as we heard on Sunday, we're going to come up against barriers in our life. We're going to come up against things we don't want to do. We're going to come up against things that make us uncomfortable we're going to come up against things that confront our selfishness and confront attitudes we've had and confront things we're just our hearts are not open to. We're going to come up against hurts, Lord, that we've experienced maybe long ago that you're going to require us to forgive and let go of. We're going to come up against things. Father, we're asking you for the courage, the power of the Holy Spirit to face these things and to be willing to overcome them. We thank you, Father, for the assurance you give us that you are at work in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure. And so we call upon you tonight, Father, to have your will done in this place. And it's not this building. It's in the lives of your people here, Father. It's in the, it's in the everyday living out of these things, Father. When we're face-to-face -face with the challenges to our flesh, we're face to face with the challenges to the, to, to, the, to the finances, to the health issues, to whatever the issues are. When we're face to face with people that are angry and, and maybe even within our own home. Father, it's the grace to walk in this love that we call upon you to release into our lives through the Holy Spirit. And we declare to you, if you don't do this, we can't. We can't do this in ourselves but we're completely and totally dependent 
upon the Holy Spirit of grace. And so, Father, we're going we're gonna to spend some time individually now here and individually at home praying over these things. And I'm going to give us some things to pray over and uh, whatever else God leads you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray for, for, for... I'm concerned about areas where there's strife. Uh, in marriages, uh, I just feel there's, there's, there are marriages that are struggling, especially with the pressures that are on people right now, pressures with some people still being at home, working from home together, pressures from the, just the pressure of going through six months of this stuff. There's pressure there. Pressure in some cases because there's financial pressure, because they've either lost jobs or they've lost hours and they've lost some income. Just pressure because of, of physical things that people are dealing with. Pressure because we can't come together the way we're used to coming together. There's just so much pressure out there, and, and we need God's grace. God's grace in our families, God's grace in our marriages, God's grace in our church. God's grace each day to be able to, to handle these things in the love of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to pray for that for marriages, for children, for families, uh, and for uh, um, just any kinds of misunderstandings uh, to heal relationships and then to help us with all the limitations we have right now to find ways to connect together because we need one another so desperately. So we're going to take about 10 minutes or so and just begin to pray these things out. We'll come back together in agreement and then we'll, we'll do one or two little things and then dismiss you. So, Father, thank you tonight. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we begin to bring this time together to a close, because your word says so, we have confidence that you've heard us. And now we must leave here in faith that as you've heard us, you're at work to carry out what we've asked you to do. We've asked you for things that are in accordance with your will, and your word says that you've heard us. And that if we've heard us, it, we know that you're doing what we've asked you to do. So now we commit to you and to ourselves that we will speak only in line with what we've asked you to do. We commit to you that we will not worry or fret over these things, but instead we'll have confidence that you are at work. We may not see the answers right away. We may not see them for a while, but we know they're coming because we know you're faithful. Father, so often we hold back in faith because we know we've been faithless or we're fa our faith has been weak. But you're faithful to do what we've asked you to do. You're faithful to see your will carried out. You're faithful to heal and restore and to set free. You're faithful to provide. You're faithful. And we must remember, Father, as we do this, that Jesus has said, 
with God all things are possible to him who believes and that you specialize in the impossible. Father, there are many times I think we hold back because we don't really think you can do something about it. And how patient you are with us, Father, and how that must hurt sometimes, how little we would have faith in what you can do, the creator of the universe. And so as we prepare to leave here tonight, Father, we're expecting to see these things done. We're expecting to see peace and unity and healing and deliverance and provision. We're expecting to see these things. We're expecting to see children come home. We're expecting to see marriages healed. We're expecting to see jobs. We're expecting to see bodies healed because nothing's impossible to you as long as we believe. And so we leave here encouraged. We leave here hopeful. And Father, as we go back into our homes and back into our communities and back into our jobs, may we take that hope and that faith with us so that the light can shine out into a world that desperately needs that hope and desperately needs that darkness. And for that privilege, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you watching online, I I know everybody here, so I don't believe this really applies here, but maybe there's somebody that's watching online tonight and you maybe just stumbled across us, tuned in, maybe you've been watching for a while, and you don't know for sure where you stand with God. And what I mean by that is if your life were required of you tonight, and it will be at some point, do you have a certainty in your heart, a peace in your heart, of where you're going to spend that eternity. One of the purposes of this Bible is so that we can be certain, so that we can have a confidence. Many people say, well, how can I really know? Because God wants us to know. He's told us exactly what the terms and the conditions are. It's very clear. Jesus made it clear. He said, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. What he means by that is you must allow Jesus to come into your life and make a change, a fundamental change in who you are on the inside. Because all of us on the inside without Christ are selfish, self-centered, proud. In many different ways we display it, but that's what's at the root of all of the sin that we commit. And what Jesus said is, you've got to let me get to the root of the problem, and it's your nature. Ephesians 2 says that we all before had this nature, this this tendency towards evil in God's sight, selfishness, self. And only Jesus can come in and change your heart. But that's what has to happen in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you can't do that yourself. But what you can do, all you can do, what you must do, is ask Jesus to come into your heart, into your life, to make that change. He's the one that paid for your sins 2,000 years ago. They're paid for in Christ. But you have to receive that gift. And you do that by inviting him into your life and receiving him as the one that paid for your sins. And then asking him to come in and make that change. And then you take your life as it is right now and you put it into his hands to be Lord over your life. If you've never done that before, I want to help you tonight by leading you in a very simple 
prayer. All you've got to do is mean this as best you can. These words, that's all you can do. But God will see into your heart and he'll take your words and he'll take them by faith from you and he'll do what he's promised to do. Or maybe you're watching tonight or you're here tonight or most likely you're watching and you've done this at some time before but you've wandered away from him. You're just out there on your own. And again, maybe you stumbled on this tonight or you're, you've been watching for a while and you just realize where you are. You've stumbled away from him and you've lost that confidence. God wants to restore that to you tonight. He loves you. He's never stopped loving you. That's why he's giving you this opportunity tonight. So if that's you in either one of those cases, or if you're here tonight, I wanted you to repeat this prayer with me. I'm going to ask everybody here to join me together with, and mean it as best you can, then I'm going to give you just a little bit of, of instructions. So pray this with me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything that I've ever done. You know everything that I've ever said. You know everything that I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. I repent of it. I ask you to wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. If you did that for the very first time tonight or maybe you did that and you recommitted your life to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call our office tomorrow. We don't have anybody there right now. Call our office tomorrow for any time after 8.30. 508-336-4110. 508-336-4110. And somebody will answer the phone, and we want to get your name and information because we want to send out to you some material to help you understand what you've done tonight. And if you need prayer, anybody that answers the phone is very competent and capable of praying with you. If you're here tonight and you did that and you need prayer, just come see me or Pastor Ray, after the service, we'd be happy to pray with you and get some materials to you. Second thing, I want to pray over offerings. We're not receiving it now unless you gave it in the back. But I want, when we come together, I want to pray whatever your giving has been so that God will bless it. He'll bless it, but I want to pray over it. Father, the tithes that are brought to you by these people, either tonight or however they've done it, or the offerings that they brought to you. Father, we bring these to you because we love you. We bring these to you not to pay for anything. We can't pay for it. But we bring these to you, first of all, out of obedience. And secondly, because we care that the other people's lives will be touched and affected through this ministry the way the giving of others has allowed our lives to be touched and affected. And so as we do this, you promised, especially as we tithe, that you will open the windows of heaven and pour out on us a blessing we cannot contain, that you'll rebuke the devourer for our sake, and we'll be called by others of delightsome land. That's your promise to us. And Father, we thank you for that. We believe it and we expect it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may stand. Reminder, Sunday morning, 
two services. Nine o'clock is our max mass service. Wear a mask from when you come in to when you leave. Wear it covering your whole face, whole nose and mouth. Second service is at 11 o'clock, and that's for people that are want to take their masks off during the service. You have to wear it coming in. You have to wear it during praise and worship, and you have to wear it when you leave. But once you're seated and socially distanced, you may take it off. Second service only. Praise God. Come expecting we're going to get... God is going to bless us. So let's close with a little bit of worship, and I will dismiss you. This first.